Welcome to the Awake Asia podcast. This podcast is about crossing cultures and borders to share stories about everyday people doing extraordinary things. Each episode, we bring to you thought leaders from the region and the rest of the world to share knowledge, inspiration, and stories of triumph to help you live a fitter, healthier, more purpose-driven, conscious lifestyle. My name is Luke. I'm an author, educator, and along with my wife, Emily, a mum and an ultra-endurance athlete, we are the creators of AwakeMethod.com. In today's episode, we have Vlad Ixel. Vlad is a full-time ultra-endurance athlete for the North Face team and an online marathon, ultra-marathon, and trail running coach. I was fortunate enough to catch Vlad during his layover here. During this session, we chatted about his humble beginnings, being born in the Soviet Union, his struggles, which ultimately led him to becoming an accomplished vegan ultra-endurance athlete. I hope you get lots of inspiration from this episode. What brought you to Singapore this time around? The layover, so uh, flying back from Hong Kong to Australia. And I just extended it a little bit so I can catch up a bit with the running community here, go for a couple of runs, um, eat some of the good vegan burgers here. <laughs> and what, what have you had so far? I've only had Indian food last night because ah. I haven't too much time. It was like at midnight as well. So it was like a local kind of Indian place that had like some vegan curry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right, in the, right, right in downtown. But today for lunch, I'm looking for that um, veg burg. Oh, Veganberg. Veganberg. That's on the east side. Veganberg. Uh, yeah, really, really, really good. Really, I had I had it in San Francisco. Oh, did you? And I thought it was actually based from there, but then I realized it's a Singaporean company that opened one in San Francisco and they do yeah. really well in San Francisco. Yeah, I heard they open in San Francisco and I hear that there's quite a good vibe there and they're killing it. It's Incredible. a great, great, great neighborhood as well. Yeah, it was like a hippie kind of neighborhood. Um, it was packed when I was there and and it wasn't the typical kind of hippies that were in there. Yeah, so yeah, it was yeah. kind of like, you know, some business people, some younger kids. Um, so the vibe was really nice in that place. And it was reasonably priced. And it, we had some, we had a person with us that wasn't a vegan. And he was like, wow, this is so good. And he keeps going there. He's from San Francisco. Right. Um, so, I mean, the good thing is that I do like, you know, burn 5,000 calories a day. Oh, easy. So I can kind of, you know. <laughs> I can actually have um, those unhealthy options more often, I guess, than other people. Um, but in Singapore, that vegan burger um, is super developed, I think. Oh, it is. It is. I mean, now they've, I think they brought in Impossible. I don't know whether they're using Beyond. Have you tried the Impossible yet? I've tried. I've tried the Impossible. It's not, personally, it's not as good as the Beyond Burger. I had, ah. yeah, when I'm in Hong Kong, I go hard on the Beyond Burger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, back in Australia, I'm probably a little bit cleaner. But when I travel, you know. Yeah, you um, just, just, I just yeah, find a vegan place anywhere that's close to you. And so you've got Veganberg on the on the list anywhere else? Um, is that Genesis? Oh, is yeah, yeah, yeah. Genesis. Yeah. So um, I'll kind of make my mind because I only have an option for one kind of meal in Singapore. Yeah. Because uh, I fly out in a couple of hours. Um, so one of those two. Yeah, well, f thank you for coming down. I mean, thank you for coming down considering that you're flying in a couple of hours. And, I, and we were chatting earlier and... You said you had a had a morning training session and it was tough. I think that heat is just um, you know a killer. Like you know your shoes get wet, everything gets wet after two k, and then you look at your watch and you go, I still got an hour and a half, and it only gets hotter and hotter. Yeah. And the good thing about Singapore is that if you go early enough in the morning, 
um, it's not too bad. And mm. once the sun kind of sets, it's not that bad as well. So I feel like you can do some training here. Coming from Hong Kong a week ago, you know, when I was running kind of 30, 35K a day, in Hong Kong, the humidity stays at like 90% for right. the whole day. Right. In, in Singapore, it, it's probably like at 60 in the morning, early morning, like yep. 6 a.m. And then towards like eight or nine o'clock, it goes to 90 or 85, which is not fun. But then in the afternoon, it drops again. So it's like, you know, bearable. Mm. Um, but Hong Kong is really hard. Like I was hitting the wall there. I did a couple of four-hour runs. Yeah. And you just feel like you get hit by a bus. Like I would finish my run. I'll be sitting next to a 7-Eleven with like six bottles of electrolytes, like wow. six waters of bottles, just like sweating all over the ground. People are thinking I was like, I went swimming with my clothes on and... Yeah. yeah and then you're just so tired for the rest of the day of course of course it's high humidity but i guess because hong kong the way it is it actually um gets cooler which is great isn't it i mean that's the thing that hong kong is a little bit better in singapore for that for, for distance runners that hong kong gets six months of winter or like four or five months of winter um so yeah uh, you know now it's the beginning of summer so it's starting to heat up but before that it's really nice weather for running because it's a dry winter as well. Right. So even though it's like, you know, 15 degrees, it, there's no rain for, for, for five months. Um, so it's a perfect kind of racing training ground um, in winter. But yeah, and, not and right now. Hong Kong, Hong Kong as well, like Emily does ultras as well. And she absolutely loves Hong Kong because there's just so many hills, so many mountains to climb, especially for you as an ultra endurance um, runner. Yeah, like tra a trail, trail runner. runner. That's right, 100%. Yeah, I mean you wouldn't there's not too many good road runners in hong kong because mm. there's so many hills mm. um, so it's actually really hard to flat to find flat road running right um so most of the flat road running would be like on a reservoir it might be like a 1k repeats yep. or like a track where anywhere else like you know in singapore you can just do a flat i just did a flat 20k run without kind of running on the same place yeah you can't really do that in hong kong exactly um, because there's just so many hills but yeah, for, for, for me, it works perfectly. But then again, sometimes you want the flatter runs after you had like a big elevation day. Oh, of course, you just you want, want a bit of like, a break. Yeah, you want to kind of just roll the legs and, and take it easy. And, and sometimes you're forced to climb up. And uh, But yeah, it's, it's quite... And that's why there's so many races there. Yeah. Um, right now, Hong Kong is, is, you know, three or four races every weekend. Um, yeah, so speaking of races, which was your, which was your last race? I did one in Taiwan, which was incredible. Like, um, it's about, I don't know what the area is called and I wouldn't want to try and, and pronounce it. Mm. Um, but it's about an hour away, an hour no, away from Taipei. Um, and it was beautiful, like yep. in the rainforest and right. the Taiwan trails are untouched. Oh yeah. So the good, the good thing about like, I like the Hong Kong trails, but because there's a lot of hikers and people that use it, it's a, like, it's a lot of, um, man-made kind of trails. Right. So they put a lot of stairs, they put you know, concrete path, you know. So it's nice trails, but you can see that a lot of people go through them. Right. And when Taiwan, it's it's untouched. Right. So pretty much we ran on like, you know, I did a 50K race and no stairs. Pretty much it's like super so jungly. So pretty technical? Very technical. So very slow, like six and a half hours um, compared to like a similar race in Hong Kong. It took me five and a half hours. Right, wow. Okay. And then you know, the same distance in Thailand in, in like 35 degree heat was four hours. Wow. So I think that kind of gives you the, um, how technical that trail were. And, and but it's a lot of river crossing. So it's right. really fun. So I guess your average pace was kind of fluctuates. There's not really any average pace. Well, I, I don't think there was one K that I ran faster than six minute pace. Wow. So that's really slow. 
Um, so it's, I think in the end, the average pace is about eight minutes. Wow. Eight minutes, okay, so it's super, super slow. So it's lots and lots of climbing and going downhill. Yeah, it's super technical. Um, a lot, a lot of elevation, so about 3,000 meters. Wow. Um, but even when it's a little bit flatter, there's like all the tree, tree roots and rocks and mm. and like, you know, water crossings. And so it's, yeah, it's super, So water super crossings, what kind of depth was it like? Not like knee deep. Oh, knee um, deep. But it was the best because you can, because it was getting warm. It's, it's obviously, it's humid right now mm. in Asia. Um, so you can kind of just kind of get your whole body wet and, and keep moving. So that actually saved me. Right. I was actually spending every single river crossing. I would go in and just kind of full down. body for like 10 seconds all inside. And it was like the best feeling ever. Oh yeah. And that keeps you going for another 1K. Then you have another river crossing. And, and there was a South Korean guy that was running with me. We we're kind of running together for the first 40K. And I was doing it all the time. And he was kind of like trying to run away from me. And then because I was cooling my body down, once we got to 40K, it was overheated and I was able to kind of run away from him. Um, so that kind of 10 seconds that I spent on every river crossing really paid off six hours into the race. And I guess that's a good break as well because it gives you some, as with any ultra endurance race, it gives you little milestones to hit. Oh, well, I'm going to be hitting that next river. I'm going to get a yeah. bit of a cool down. It yeah, gives you a little 100%. bit of motivation, isn't it? Well, it breaks it down just like even more because the, the distances are so are so so long. Yeah. You know, any kind of thing that you can reward yourself. Of course. Then you kind of just can't wait and you look forward to it. So you're not thinking about, oh, I got another 30K. Yeah. You kind of think, oh, there's probably should be a river in about two or three minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And so, so I guess um in this in this race, what was your what was your placing? I finished first. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, so it was a nice kind of um a race actually. Um, it's a pretty big race. How many how many runners were there? Do you know roughly? the whole event is is probably about three thousand. So it's wow, a North it's Face huge. race. Oh right, it's North Face. Um, okay. North Face sponsored race. Um, but that's with a ten k, twenty k, fifty k, and a hundred k. Right. All together. So the the fifty k that I did. Um, probably about only 400 people. Most of the people were in the 10 and 20K. Um, but a really big event and it's, you know, it's really great to see how the sport is growing. It's probably the biggest trail running event in Taiwan. Wow. Taiwan is really known for their road running. So right. they have like thousands of road races every right. single week. You have a look at their running calendar in Taiwan and you could find like six or seven marathons every single week wow. in Taiwan. Every single week. Every single week. And then like half marathons would be like 15 half marathons every single week in Taiwan and 10Ks would be like, you know, 30 10Ks every single week in Taiwan. Wow. Um, so it's a big, big running um, kind of country because it's super flat yep. in on the coast. Yep. And then in the middle, you have like all those really high peaks. Mm. Um, so it's starting to move a little bit towards the trail. Right. I think people are, you know, it kind of the boom of, of running in Taiwan happened in the last six or seven years. Okay. So, and then it, they starting to move a little bit to the trails now after, you know, after you've done. So having, having like the um, marathons and these flat distances, well, are there a lot of more uh, Kenyans there? Because I know in Singapore, we have the standard chartered marathon and quite a lot of road races here because we're quite flat. Yeah. Um, and a, 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 of course, a lot of the top guys are the Kenyans. Are there a lot of Kenyans that are running over there? Or? They will come for the money. Oh, yep. Um, so usually the way the Kenyans do, well, they will have like a manager. Right. And a manager might fly them over, pay for right. accommodation, flights and everything. Right. So they might stay in like a region like, let's say, Singapore or okay. Malaysia. Okay. Probably in Malaysia. They wouldn't stay in okay. Singapore because it's a little bit cheaper in Malaysia. And they will stay there for like, let's say, three months. And they will travel every week or every second week to a race in that region. So it right. might be like Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, whatever is close so kind by. kind of maximize their time here. That's in that right. Sense. And... and 
any racer has a prize money. Right. And then they will run and then they might only keep like 50% of the prize money. Wow. And then the manager would, um, obviously, because he pays for the flights and yep, accommodation, of course, of food course. and everything. So he takes on a risk. Of course. Because if they don't get any prize money, he still has to kind of pay for the flights, accommodation. Right, um, right. So, and, and because there's so many of them, then they will do like three months. Then another group wow, comes in, another that. group comes in. So, you know, I've talked with a lot of Kenyans. I've raced a lot of Kenyans. Right. So they're getting into trail running because there's a little bit more money in it. Yeah, what's that? Um, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, it's, it's for us living in, in developed countries, a prize money of a thousand US dollars is not much. Yep. But for them, that's a lot of money. Of course. Even, of course. If, even if he gets only half of it. Yep. Taking it back still, to Kenya, still. it's a lot of money, 500 US. You know, when, when, if he doesn't do well, he can work as a farmer. Yeah. And a farmer can make three or four dollars a day. Right. So five hundred wow. is a lot. Wow. For, and you know, you, you do a couple of races in, in that kind of three months trip. Yeah, 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 yeah. You go home with two or three thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. Of course. For them. But my, my my thought was because a lot of the Kenyans would probably choose races that pay more. And in that sense, I'll, my understanding is ultras don't pay as much as the marathons. Is that correct? A hundred percent. But then like the big marathons, like the prize money for London could be a million dollars. But, you know, there's not many Kenyans that could win them. Right. So they also kind of know to their level and that's the manager would send them to different races. Right. Depending on their level. So a race like London, um, you know, the prize money might be for the first 20 guys, let's gotcha. say. So that you will see probably 30 Kenyans. Mm. A race in Singapore that has prize money. Um, you know, even if it's like $500 prize money, you might only see two or three Kenyans. Right. Um, so it really depends on how much. And, of course, of and course. And then the the manager would send the better ones for the where there's yep. more money. The guys are, you know, should win the easier ones. Sure. I think uh, Standard Chartered mar Marathon is like 30 or 40 grand or something That's like that. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of, I mean, it's a lot of money, period. But for anybody. For these, yeah. for, 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 for these guys, man. So that, know, that'll be the top, the better guys. So that's the guys that run like a 210, 212. Yeah. Um, but the ones that would like, let's say, do races like smaller marathons, right. like let's say, um, is that 2XU maybe yeah, yeah, um, yeah. in, yeah, yeah, in yeah. Singapore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have like a small prize yeah. money, which might be a, a thousand Singapore dollars. A couple of thousand even, yeah. So you'll see some two or three Kenyans, but their marathon PB might be like a right. 220, right. you know, 215. So they're not the top, top guys. Right. Because to run like the standard charter marathon um, takes a lot out of your body when you run a 208 or a 210. They need to win those of big course. ones. So they can't do too many of them. Um, so they kind of spread themselves depending on their level and yeah. whatever the manager kind of. So in terms of your marathon, like what an average marathon, what's your kind of average marathon pace? Probably at 230. 230. Wow. So it's nothing that special. Like oh, I for, mean, I for, like. <laughs> yeah, but, but like, you know, for, for, for high the, level. Yeah. It's, it's not, I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't consider myself as a road runner. Mm -hmm. Probably my 10 K time, which is like 31, 30. Wow. It's probably like you know a little bit better on the scale of things um but yeah i wouldn't consider myself a fast road runner i'm a little bit like heavy for that yeah i think i think it's the same like for emily as well emily is for her, her strength is climbing yeah uh climbing and and obviously descending and things like that because it, it requires a lot more more mass yeah. more strength muscle mass and that that's the same for you isn't it yeah i mean i, th I th I kind of realized I started running when I was 25, so right. I had no chance to kind of compete with people that have been running their whole lives. Because the road is like, you just need hours and hours on of the course. road, years and years. 
where trail running is such a new sport that somebody without too much experience mm. can still do well if they have the strength in their legs to go up and yeah. down and on the uneven surfaces and and yeah so right so i want to go back a little bit so you mentioned you started running a little bit late so give us a little bit about uh, of your backstory like uh uh, where where you're from? You mentioned that you were born in Ukraine, Israel. So yeah, w paint us a picture. Um, yeah, born in '87 in the old Soviet Union, mm. um, and then my grandmother was Jewish, so we had the opportunity to kind of escape, I guess, leave the Soviet Union when the when it collapsed. Right. So we weren't sure what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so we were actually meant to go to the U.S. and okay. part of my family left to the U.S. And literally three or four days before we went to fly, we had the tickets. The U.S. kind of like, okay, that's enough Jews oh, wow. coming into the U.S. for now. Wow. They closed the border, so we had a chance of or to stay or to go to Israel. Um, so we chose to go to Israel. Um, back in Ukraine, my dad was, you know, we were living pretty wealthy mm. in, in many ways. My dad had a cinema, he had a bar, a restaurant. Wow. Like he was a really good businessman kind of, you know. Um, and then we moved to Israel and... You know, he, he got a job in construction. Right. And he was making like $2 an hour. Um, so that was a shock, I think, to, oh, to my course. family. Of course. Um, I guess that kind of caused my parents to divorce. Um, so at the right. age of seven, my parents divorced. So this is three years after we moved to Israel. And then it was a struggle. I mean, we were, I was, you know, I'll go to school with white bread, the cheapest white bread with tomato sauce on it. And that would be my lunch for like three or four years. Um, so, you know, that was kind of like the tough so times. So your mom was just my the, mom the would, only one just kind of working yeah. and trying to raise. Was yeah. it yourself? Do you have any brothers? I don't. Just I, yourself. I'm, I'm now I do. Like I have stepbrothers right. and my sister that was born later. Um, but it was, yeah, just me and my mom. My mom would just work from six o'clock in the morning till 12 at midnight. And I would be just like on the streets. I would make my own food, which, you know, back then I would just like at the age of six, I would cook eggs and, yeah, and yeah. like you know, I will, my fridge back then was like a couple of eggs, tomato right. sauce and bread. Yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah, all yeah. we had in the fridge. Right. Um, so I'd be cooking like some eggs by myself at the age of six. And, you know, sometimes I would cook extra eggs and I would leave it for my mom. Um, you know, kids today at the age of six don't really do that. But, you know, those times I was by myself, um, like for the full day. So I didn't really see my mom that much. So were you kind of going to school? Or? I was going to school, but like, you know, I would just wake up and go to school. You know, my mom would probably already be, um, you know, going to work. So I'll come home. There'll be nobody there. Um, as I said, if if I took something to school for lunch, you know, it was up to me. Um, some days I wouldn't take anything. And, you know, the kids would have their sandwiches and stuff. And, yeah, I would just have nothing. I just keep playing soccer um, throughout the break and come home and, you know, open the fridge and you know, be like bread with tomato sauce. That's all I remember eating wow. at that kind of time or, or cooking myself an egg, like literally. Um, so that that was, I mean, looking back at it, I'm happy that that kind of happened to me. And you think that's kind of shaped the person that 100%. you are today? I'm happy that I moved from a place like that though, mm. because it's good when you kind of grow up because it really kind of toughens you up and and kind of makes you appreciate things in life. But then when you get to like the point where you're 20 or after your studies, it kind of closes down opportunities, mm. um, which I'm really grateful to kind of live in Australia, which if I, if I take a chance on whatever business or, or taking my running to yeah. do something, if that doesn't work out, I work as a waiter and I make $25 oh, yeah. an hour. Exactly. You and know, then you got overtime, that's right. holiday pay. 100%. So I, I can be making 60, 70 grand a year. Yeah. 
um, you know, working unqualified work. That doesn't happen in many places. Of course. So I think that taking a chance in those kind of developed countries is, is, you know, really special, like a gift that people should take. Of course. Um, but you don't really realize it unless you spend time in places that, you know, that are pretty hard to make it to, yeah, unless yeah. you're super, super special and you're very lucky you most likely would just live in really below average life. That's so true because, I mean, um, we're based in Singapore and I was based in Melbourne in Australia and I always put things in context when people are complaining about the train, complaining about <laughs> waiting in line, contextualizing it to someone who doesn't have food in their fridge, waiting possibly for an airstrike to pass or something yeah. like that. It's just, it makes you really realize how much we actually have. And, you know, in, Sing in, in Hong Kong, Man, I mean, it's, I mean, at the same time, Hong Kong as well, there's a huge disparity. You know, you've got the uber, rich. uber, uber rich. And I actually watched a documentary just a few days ago about um, back in the day where they actually have old people living in like kind of cages. cages. Yeah, I've seen that the, one. the cages are apartments. Yeah. So they literally like have a cage and all the belonging is inside a space of like. And a, how big is that single, cage roughly? Well, think about a single bed Yep. with an extra like. 10 centimeters in, on, on each side of it so they can right. put some things around it and then they kind of lock themselves in. So it's they, they would have a shared, shared bathroom. And, right. and, and yeah, I mean, that's still obviously that's happens still, in Hong Kong. Happening. Yeah, that's the thing. So the government is um, one of the only governments in the world that is like, you know, has a lot of money. Mm. Like they kind of make way too much money, the government, right. um, from selling land, not from taxes. Yep. So because that's why accommodation is so expensive in Hong Kong because yep. the government will like open a bit of land and then sell it to the developer for $5 billion. Wow. Um, so it keeps the price. So it gets the profit from that. They don't need tax yep. when they can make that much money from opening a piece of, small piece of land. Developer makes money because, you know, people are, are in demand, high demand for, for accommodation of and course. they can sell those apartments for, you know, three, four million US dollars. For Speaking that. of apartments, you were sharing with me um, the, the the apartment that you have and the rent you're paying is just astronomical compared to the the, the, yeah. the, the, the space that you're getting, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, our apartment was so small and, and you know, after five years there, it was, it was kind of, you get to a point where this is just too small. Too small, of course, coming from, you know, Australia. Australia. I mean, right now, Perth definitely want to go into that. So, so going back to your backstory, first you said that you were in Israel. So when did you move to Australia? I moved when I was 14. Right. Um, so pretty much my, my mom did everything she could to get me out of Israel. So this back, back so I'm 31 now. This is 15 years ago. Um, the situation in Israel, like military-wise, wasn't as good as it was now. Mm. So back then there was a lot of like suicide bombers. So like, like my bus that I would take every day almost got oh, bombed. Like, like literally a girl from my class, her parents like died in that bombing oh, on God. the bus that, you know, goes right past my house. Um, you know, those explosions around my house, as you said, you run through the bomb shelters because yeah. they, um, this is kind of common, common. This is like a normal day. At a normal. Yeah. It's, it's the reality. It is. Yeah. Back then it was really worse. Yeah. Now it's like, you know, cleaned up a little bit. Um, it's a little bit better. And, you know, my mom had some friends at work and their kids died on the front line in the army. So she didn't want me to go to the front line. And so she, at what age was it compulsory for you to go to army? 18. Oh, 18. For 18 to for three years, mm. to 21. Mm. And then they did some testing and, you know, I was probably most likely will be at the front line. Mm. Um, 
so like infantry or yeah something like you know i wasn't a kind of a kid like that would end up in front of a computer right like you right. know with my add and like right. and i was pretty good at like you know sports and soccer and stuff like that so i could imagine that would have ended up on the front line you know my brother my stepbrother so my dad remarried he was in the army for nine years and he was in front of a computer for nine years so you know there's obviously different but i, I doubt i would have been able to be in front I didn't have a computer till the age so of like 16. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, Miss, Mr. 100K, Mr. with so many awards. <laughs> I can't imagine you in front of a computer right. as well. Yeah, so I, would, I probably would have been something like, you know, a bit more dangerous. So my mom got really scared. Um, right. So she kind of did everything she, she could. And um, we managed to, we were so lucky to get into Australia and we got the permanent residency. Which part of Australia? Perth. Oh, Perth. Yeah. Um, so we moved there. I was 14. Um, then, you know, this was the only, and then like, you know, from coming such a kind of a poor life, you know, suddenly my stepdad was making a bit of money. My mom was making a bit of money, like not doing anything special, just basic yeah. unqualified work. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, they signed me up to a tennis classes and that was always my dream um, to kind of play tennis. Um, so at the age of 14, I started playing tennis and then like, you know, a year later, I was in the top 50 in the country. Fantastic. Um, and, and so I spent a bit of time playing tennis as a junior. Yep. Um, doing tournaments and stuff. I was a full-time tennis player pretty much Great. at the age of like 16, 17. So um, were you kind of doing that concurrently with school or tennis? So I didn't go to school. Oh, okay. So it was the best. Straight thing. in. Yeah. Straight so, in. So pretty much I was doing distance education. So they kind of send you the, the, the kind of the books and the courses every two weeks by mail. And they'll be like next to my door, just unopened kind of packages from this distance education thing for two years and somebody that hated school and never did well at school you know that was the best thing in the world that was the best two years of my life you know, i'd <laughs> play tennis from eight o'clock in the morning till eight o'clock at night love. seven days a week and i don't have to go to school i mean as as much as i think school is a good thing it doesn't fit everybody and you know i was always you know back in israel i just don't go to classes yeah. don't do homework you know don't do anything it just wasn't for me and the teachers kind of thought oh well he's the, the clown like the clown of the class so don't worry about him so nobody pay attention for me and like years kind of went by and and i haven't learned anything you know just wasting my time kind of in school um so i never really got like any connection with school so you know i was happy not to go to school for two years Great. um that was that was a bonus um but then at the age of kind of 17 you know i kind of had to realize i wasn't doing too well in tournaments so my game was really good, but because I, play, I started playing tennis at the age of 14 against kids, I started playing at the age of like three, um, okay. you know, mentally I wasn't there. So okay. my game, like hitting a, a serve and a ball would be as good as, as like a professional tennis player. But mentally my, my brain would just not be able to do it because it's so much stop and start. So what do you mean by mentally? You just, you so I'll, I would go into a match and yep. I'll play way better than the guy on the other side. And I would win the first three or four games, four love, you know, in the first set. And in my head, I'm already thinking about the next match. I was like, oh, I'm going to play against this guy and then I'm going to win this tournament and blah, blah, blah. Next so thing you I know, weren't actually fully present in that match. That's right. So I would, next thing I know, I'm one set down. So it's like, okay, get, get, get your shit together. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. start the next set, might win the next two games and then again, okay, I'll, I'll win in three sets. And next thing I know, I lost the match. And this would happen really often and... You know, I would lose matches against people that if it wasn't a tournament and we're just playing in... You in, would just smash them. Yeah, that's right. I wouldn't even lose a point. And then I'll get to a tournament and, and I'll struggle to pass the first few rounds. 
because mentally I just wasn't there. And I worked with a psychiatrist um, for a long time to kind of try and bring and be present. Why? What do you think was the the, the issue? Just no. Nicely developed ADD. Probably, oh, yeah. I don't I know. Yep. My brain would just... I'll concentrate for a long time on, on, on the game, so for 20 minutes, and then my brain would just go to, to a different spot. And it could be a two, thinking about the next match, or it could be thinking about you know something else, or you know just couldn't. And the good thing about running is why I think it's it fits me perfectly because yeah. it's a stupid people sport. There's a start line and a finish line. There's no stops. You can stop. You cannot well, stop. You can stop and get. That's right. As long as you make it to the finish line. Exactly. You know that's it. But tennis, you don't know how long it's going to go for. Yeah. You know it can be ten minutes or it can be five hours. So you know that stop and start is. Um, I struggled with that. Your mum was very supportive of your kind of uh, sporting journey. It was the first time that they obviously could afford. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, when I was back in school in Israel, there was like, you know, obviously inter-schools and, mm-hmm. and, and I would do really well at them and I would win them. And, you know, the school is like, oh, you should go and train with, with the local athletics club. And I would go there and the coach is like, yeah, yeah join us. You got to pay like literally something like $20 um, for the six, for the half a year, six, like $20. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll pay it next week. And obviously my parents couldn't afford it, mm. even though it was like $20. Yep. They couldn't afford it. And then I come back again. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll pay next week, next week. And, you know, there's so many weeks that I could come and say, hey, I'll pay next week, next week. And then I just couldn't show, show my face there anymore. And that happened in a few different sports where yeah. I would start at like, you know, judo or something like that or soccer. It's just kind of backlog. All and that yeah, and they're like, you know, you're doing so well, doing so well. And there's like, hey, when are you making the payment? And, and it wasn't expensive. It's not like, you know, maybe like in, in, in Australia right now, which you could be like, oh, you got to pay $1,000. It was literally $25 for six six months. And I would say like, yeah, yeah, next week, next week. And, you know, I would do three or four weeks for free. And then, you know, kind of drop out and be playing soccer on the streets on in the car parks. Um, so this time my parents could support my tennis a little bit. Mm-hmm. So they, they did sacrifice a little bit for, for my for my kind of um tennis career for there for a little bit that didn't really work out but you know they kind of developed me as a person so i think that investment did pay off yeah well you know, i mean we're chatting here off. now you're you, you, yeah, you were coaching right. people and and you're, you're doing really well so from tennis to running how like maybe build a bridge across yeah so i stopped at 17 i worked as a tennis coach for a while and this is 17 um you know, a while back, this is 12, 13 years ago, I was making $50, $60 an hour, mm. um, which was really good. But I really struggled being on the other side of the net because mentally I was like... You wanted to compete, you wanted to play. Yeah, I felt like, you know, I'm not I'm not meant to be... I'm too young to be a coach, maybe like... So, I, you know, I didn't really enjoy being a coach and I kind of gave that away after two years and, and I rather kind of did low-paying job but just not being around and kind of feeling like I was a failure because mm. I felt like coaching back then which like six months before that i was the other i was the other person on the other side of the net you know i felt i feel like i failed and it was right in my face every day so i struggling a bit with coaching and then you know i started traveling a bit so i would work for like three or four months save enough money to travel for nine months of the year you can do that in australia you can work for three months full time save enough money to travel around the world for nine months um you know so i did that for a couple of years um started studying architectural drafting architecture wow architectural uh, drafting. <laughs> um so that was that was kind of you know a time when you know my arms were a little bit bigger i go to the gym um 
you know, not like you go to the gym. I'll be just like bench press, yep. like, you know, bicep curls and of that's course. about it. The stuff that you can see. That's right. The stuff that, that I'll look at myself in the mirror and go, yeah, you are healthy. And, and you know, I, I would, the only running I would do is to the bottle shop. Yeah, yeah. And much. if I had to run to the bus, I wouldn't make it because I would not have the cardio to do that. Right. So at that time, you know, I was high working. protein, very high protein, like. I would not have any vegetables or fruit, water. I would not drink water. I would just drink energy drinks or Mother's, um, Red Bulls. Um, yeah, I was. I would drink at least six a day, so at least three liters a day. Three liters of like energy yeah. drinks. Yeah, I would. I was so unhealthy, and this is smoking a packet of cigarettes a day, and at least a six pack of beer to fall asleep. So days where I would have only two or three beers, I wouldn't be able to fall asleep. I wake up, I go to the fridge, have a couple more beers, and then fall asleep. Um, so I was, yeah, I mean, I have a very addictive personality, mm. so, you know, I was addicted to caffeine. I was addicted to nicotine and alcohol. So this was just during your traveling. And this this was of- during kind of being a student, um, you know, traveling, um, you know, my 45 minutes a day in the gym, thinking that I was still healthy to kind of build muscle, to impress girls, yeah, you know, yeah. at that kind of 22, 23 I being age. There before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess in Australia, it's changed a little bit. Kids are not doing that anymore as yeah. much. You know, there's more hipsters now. Oh, they rather grow a mustache. Although in the gym setting, I mean, it's crazy though. I mean, kids these days are just doing anabolics. You know, yeah. they're going younger and younger, which is extremely scary because I see some 16, 15 year olds, they're jacked. They've got fully developed really? physiques um, here as well. It's just, you know, the game has changed, especially with social media and this whole yeah. Instagram. Where well, you can get it all online, right? Yeah, right? Pr- pretty much. I mean, I was lucky enough that I never got into drugs because, well, like any any drugs, mm. because in my mind I had a line that this was too far. And even though I liked I liked alcohol because I could control myself, mm. like even when I got really really drunk, I could still be aware of what I was doing. And you know, I've had weed a few times and I would lose control, like not do anything bad, but I like you know just like a blackout for half an hour now, and I didn't like it, so I never really did that. Um, obviously I never had any money for any other drugs, um, but I was also never really interested in that. So I was kind of lucky in that sense because some of my friends went deeper into the drugs. Um, and you kind of lose, you kind of just go go into this whole downward spiral. Yeah. So I was lucky enough not to go there and just stick with the, I guess with the, with the drugs that are more acceptable by society, which are energy, which are caffeine, energy drink and alcohol and nicotine, which are drugs to to any extent, any extent. But I sold anywhere in the store. So in my head, oh well, those ones are fine. So so you're you're drinking drinking six Red Bulls a day, yeah. caffeine, smoking a pack. Right now it's like night and day yeah. to where you are right now. So at what point did you decide that this is enough? I want to turn my life around. So my brother was just about to get his first holiday from the military after being doing like a couple of three or four years in the military at that point. And he's he had a six months off and he's like, let's do a trip around Australia. So we rented a van and we drove from Adelaide to Cairns, a three-month trip. And that's when I kind of, you know, we would sleep in a different kind of car park of a beach every single day, wake up, go for a swim. Um, life was really simple. And that's Athletic. when I kind of realized how beautiful life was, mm. how beautiful, obviously, Australia was. Yeah, um, But like how amazing like a simple life can be. This is before like social media and all that. Um, you know, it's just so simple. We wake up, take a cold shower down at the beach, go for a swim at the beach, go for a walk. And then I started smoking a little bit less, yep. drinking a little bit less because I didn't need those stimulants as much as I was drinking less energy drinks and 
Um, me and my brother would go for like an hour walk in the morning and hour walk in the afternoon, um, you know. So I just kind of really enjoyed the simplicity of life. And then I got back to Perth. My brother went back to Israel. And this was about just before my 25th birthday. So I decided to that the next quarter of my life is not going to be as unhealthy as this first one. And I pretty much quit smoking. And then I saw there was a Perth marathon. And in the back of my head, I always knew my dad was a really good runner. So my dad ran the first um, 100K race in the Soviet Union in 1973 and 1974. And then he turned kind of 20, he got married, had kids, went to the army at the age of 20. So he stopped running at 20 and he never really ran. So when I was born, um, obviously I, I knew about his running and he was like a really good track runner when he was young and, and he's done those 200K races. So I always had it in my mind that I want to do a marathon one day. Um, so I was like, I might as well do it now. I'm going to get to life and I won't be ready many times yeah. to many different situations, but sometimes you just got to face it and do it. Totally. So I was like, let me do this because I was the world champion in starting things and I'll finish them. You know, my school, my school, I didn't graduate. Um, my architecture didn't graduate, like a million things that I would start, never finish. I, I resonate with that <laughs> big time. So I was like, let's start with something small, something like a goal that I could finish in that day. Um, so there was the Perth marathon that was a couple of days later and I went in back then you could sign up on the spot. Um, so I walked in into the number number pickup, um, sign up on the spot. This is 2012. And the lady's like, have you done this one before? I was like, no, I've never really done a marathon or it's my first runs. time. Yeah, it's my first time. She's like, well, good luck then. And obviously, I, I, I mean, I wasn't healthy, but I had a sporting background yeah. for a couple of years. And when I was a kid, I spent every single free time in my day playing soccer. So it would be before school, during school, after school. I just, so I'd be like, you know, a sporty kind of a kid. So, you know, I started, I started that run and I felt okay. Obviously I went too fast at the beginning. Um, and I really hit a wall at about 30, 33 K, but I managed to put through that pain and that high of making to the finish line was greater than any night out, any going out, any party, any nightclub, any pub, any drinking experience that I had before. So that high was just incredible. And it lasted me for three or four weeks after it. And even though I finished that marathon and I was sitting on that grass for like two hours, not being able to move in the most painful kind of state I've ever been in my whole life. And then it took me about half an hour to walk to my car, which was only like 300 meters away. And then I got into the car another 10 minutes till I could put the key in the ignition. And then I drove home. I parked the car right next to the house and it still took me like an hour to get out of the car and walk home and then my mom had to bring me food to bed for the next three or four days because i couldn't walk i was just in so much pain but i was just on such a high oh i can imagine because especially you, you, you were just sharing that um you were just the king of not finishing everything but i think beyond just the running the marathon but it's just this epiphany in your life like wow i've actually done something and i've yeah, actually completed that's it right. it was just in such a high and no matter what happened i was studying i had a bad day i had a you know, a good day. I was angry with something. Mm. For the next month, I was just happy. Yeah. And nothing could just take away that smile from my face knowing that I finished that marathon. And, you know, two weeks later, I signed up to another marathon. And, you know, I did a little bit better. More, and, more prep? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it wasn't that far away. So it was only six six weeks between the two marathons. Um, but I managed to get a couple of runs in. I ran a little better. Um, and then I finished that marathon. I came straight away home. And I was like, hardest running races in the world. And I found this self-supported 250K oh, I read about that race. One. Yeah. Tell us about that um, one. What's that one about? 
So it's 250K in the Atacama Desert in Chile, which is the driest, dry, driest desert in the world. So you have to take all your, all your food for a week. Um, so you're running with a, like, quite a big, big back. Yeah, about 10 kilograms. Like, so everything you need for the week except water. Um, so you, you kind of, so it's a stage. So it's pretty much like a marathon every day mm -hmm. on like soft sand and, 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 and elevation of like, you know, rocky kind of looks mm -hmm. like Mars. That place they do and like what a kind lot of, of temperatures testing. are there during the day is like 40 degrees super like you don't you don't really sweat but it's dry it's like really dry yeah and then at night you could drop to like zero oh. so you like need to make sure that it's not a cheap sleeping bag yeah yeah yeah. and like yeah. you need jackets with you and wow um, so you're bringing a sleeping bag food jacket for the whole week so it's whole like week and it's 250k not, that's right and then the last day well the the last kind of big days is a double marathon so about 90k of running and then you finish like with a 10k sprint to the to the town um so it's kind of like a seven day thing and back then to sign up it was like three and a half thousand us dollars and you know i had zero money i was mm -hmm. on minus two two thousand dollars on my credit card at that point but the deposit was only like a thousand us so that would kind of max my credit card right, right? like a three thousand dollar max on a credit card so i signed up talk I, about living once eh? <laughs> i mean I, I mean the thing is that i came from a background where my parents were always on a minus Yep. you know they're always on a minus on a credit card so for me it was kind of normal yeah now i realize it's not because i have a german girlfriend yeah, yeah. You know, so there's no <laughs> such thing as being on a minus no you kind of live on a minus on your credit yeah, card yeah. um but for many years i did live on a minus on my credit card i only got out of that minus maybe three years ago wow um and i, I was on it there. since since i got like a bank account and a credit card at the age of 18 you know till the age of 28 i was on minus the max i was literally at that max um, because that's how people live in Israel, yeah. Um, which is not right, but they all live like that. And my dad did it for 25 years. So it's just kind of just the world that that's you know. That's the default. Yeah, like, you know, that's how, that's how everybody still lives in Israel. Um, right. Because you want to go to whatever, you want to do things in life, but you only get this much amount of money. So it's really hard to get out of that hole. Yeah. And then obviously you pay a lot of interest. Um, yeah, of course. But yeah, I was kind of, I maxed that credit card out. And I had like six months, I think, till that race. And I, I started training for it. So I would do like, you know, there was a cricket field next to my house and I'll wait till like the midday because I knew the race would be really hot. Right. So I, this is the summer in Australia, 40 degrees, 38 degrees. I'd be running with a backpack, 10 kilogram backpack, you know, doing 80 laps around my cricket laps. field to do to get 40K. Wow, talk about the mental fortitude to do 80 laps. In this. But back then I was just, I didn't know anything about yeah. it. So I started kind of researching and yeah. studying. And my buddy was fresh for it. My buddy was like, I was now I'm like, you know, I've been running for seven years, an average of half marathon every single day for seven years. Yeah. So I'm a little bit kind of maybe more tired than many. But back then I was so fresh. I was so hungry. I didn't even feel that like pain of those runs. Right now, thinking about it just makes me tired. But back then it was just like, it was just fine. One, just yeah. Something that you had to do. Yeah. I just like, I, I didn't look at it as anything that special. But now I look back at the numbers that I ran back then. And I was like, I was insane. I, I literally, I would wait till it was at least 32 degrees outside before I start running. And before that, I might be in the gym and doing yoga and strength. And at that time, I would spend a lot of time researching. So, you know, strength, running form, you know, um, sleep, nutrition, recovery. And one of the things was, um, how can I recover quicker? Mm. And it was like a plant-based diet. Mm. So I was like, 
you know, I've been eating meat for 25 years of my life. So when you started your, your marathon, you were just, you were just still eating st- standard, standard Australian meat. diet. Meat. Well, it wasn't even standard Australian diet. I was just meat three yeah. times a day. Right. Still so it's your high protein kind of ma- mindset. That was what I was told for years. Yeah. It's like you need 1.5 grams for every kilogram in your body. Um, so that's what I was doing always. I was like, I need the protein. I need the protein. Of course. And then I was like, I've been eating this way for 25 years. Let me try, uh, you know, not do this for two weeks. If I don't feel better, I'll go back to what I was doing yeah. before. No you loss. Know, nothing lost. Two weeks is out of 25 years. It's not mm. a big deal. Um, but I couldn't lie to myself that I was feeling, I was sleeping better. Right. I had more energy. I was less aggressive. Um, I was recovering better, of course. Um, you know, and I just, that was yeah, seven and a half years ago and I never looked back. Right. And, 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 you know, that protein thing, suddenly from having hundred grams a day to maybe 15 grams a day and doing two times 20k runs a day i was recovering faster like you yeah. know we we do need protein but i don't think as much as people think and you know i'll get so many messages on facebook and instagram at least five a week where do you get your protein from still still till that day like you know i still get it and you know you know i just i can't i i'll you know, for two or three years, I didn't even think of protein. All I was worried about is eating healthy. You know, I never thought about anything. I just like eat as many fruits and vegetables as you can in different colors. That should be fine. Yeah. And that worked for me so well. So run us through for the listeners out there. What what does your day kind of look like? Has it been the same throughout almost? Most likely, like yep. almost like, you know, obviously it would change a little bit when I do like really a lot of training mm. or I travel. Um, but usually when I'm back home, it's just fruit smoothies for breakfast mm-hmm. or a fruit salad. So I'd mix it up a little bit. Um, so that's mainly kind of banana based. A lot less bananas than what I used to. I used to eat like 30 bananas a day. Because mm. um, I was just like, this is simple. This is cheap. Yep. This is quick. You know, I just have, you know, put 10 bananas in a smoothie. Blend it. Blend it, drink it. Okay, that was that easy. And that would be like, you know, my snacks throughout the day. Now I'm probably at about maybe 8 to 10 bananas a day. So I have maybe 4 for breakfast and 4 throughout the day. A lot of dates um, and salads, fresh salads. Yeah. So I kind of try and keep it raw till dinner. And then at dinner, I'll go things like sweet potato, rice, curries, um, vegan burgers now. Right. But that wasn't in the first five or six yeah. years. Yeah. Um, now with all that kind of fake vegan food, well, fake meat, yeah. vegan options. Meat alternatives. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of like opened a new door for me, which is, you know, I'm kind of a little bit here and there trying to support the, this kind of industry as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I would have that maybe for dinner because, you know, most of the, in my head, most of the recovery happens when I'm asleep. So I want to make sure that I kind of have extra calories before I go to bed. I know that many people kind of have different beliefs to that, but that worked for me for many years. So so I, I understand that you coach as well. So for, for your clients that you coach, do you do you advocate a plant-based diet to them? Are, are a lot of your clients um, open to plant-based or they are not? I never, I've never pushed anybody to talk to, to that lifestyle or anything like that. I do like, you know, if they do ask me, I kind of, I would suggest it. And few of them do um, weekday vegans. So they would kind of, during the week at home, they would um, have a plant-based diet. And during the weekend, they would just have whatever. And a lot of them would, even on the weekends, stay with that plant-based diet because um, they would see the benefits and you know, they'll feel better, they'll be a bit lighter, they recover faster, they're running faster. So they see yeah. the benefits, you know, it's a yeah, little bit cheaper. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, 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 you know, they're kind of like, why should I do that the whole week? 
Um, so I've seen a few people transfer from my coaching clients that have changed. Fantastic. Um, and even the ones that didn't fully change are definitely eating more plants, um, a lot less meat. I coach a lot of French people and we try and cut off that cheese. In the beginning, it's a bit hard because I'm French. Of course. Kind <laughs> exactly. Of, kind of, uh, I need the excuse. sauce, I need the cream. Yeah, that's right. But once they do, they feel and two or three weeks later, they do feel the difference and they're like, you know what, I do feel better now. Yeah. Um, so they do make the change slower. Um, but, you know, I think that any change is, is good. And the thing is for me, it went from zero, uh, from 100 to zero, kind of like in yeah. one day, because that's the type of person that I am. You so I need, I need that kind of change one day from eating steaks for lunch and a whole chicken for dinner to like nothing, to yep. eating cherry tomatoes suddenly yep. for the next day for lunch, like three boxes of cherry tomatoes because <laughs> um, I just didn't know what I should eat. But it worked for me. Worked. But for some people, it's a slower progression. Truly. And it went from maybe some people would only eat a steak once every two or three days to like now only once a week, you know, and, and they are feeling better and they, you know, a little bit more cautious about what they eat um, and taking away those dairy products. Oh, I think that dairy is a big one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot, uh, what I hear is a lot of people do a lot better with just cutting out the dairy. Okay. And, you know, the main thing for me was my mom cutting it out. So, you know, she's obviously, I've been vegan around her for, for seven years, seven and a half years. And only in the last year, she, she, she cut it out. She's like, okay, no more milk at home. And she really felt And she feels difference. better. You know what I mean? Like she's not even having coffee anymore. Uh, because um, she always has it with her milk that's with right, her coffee with the coffee and then like maybe some yogurts or something like that but she doesn't anymore and she's like i feel so much better i sleep better and you know she's like why didn't i do it earlier and that's what i ask myself as well how come i didn't do it earlier feeling the benefits of a plant-based diet but you did a bit more research into the lifestyle and you're now in it for the ethical and environmental. yeah i think that in in the first kind of two years it was all about me uh, I was feeling better. I was performing better. So I was like, this is the way to go. But then once you get into the community and my, my first video about like animal welfare, I probably saw like one and a half, one years, one year after being vegan. Mm. Um, so I didn't really know too much about it still, even after I was vegan. Um, so I kind of, wow, this is definitely not something I want to be a part of. And that just kind of made me realize that I will probably be vegan forever because if I stop running, um, and I didn't care anymore about my health or my recovery. Yep. You know, maybe I'll go back to, to eating animals. But once you know that side of the story, then you go, wow, I don't want to be any, I don't want to have any to, anything to do with this. Um, so you realize that it's a lot more than just your personal, you know, um, recovery. You realize this, this industry is not a nice industry at all. No. And they do a lot of bad things and... And there's no, a reason why it's hidden. Yeah, that's right. And there's a reason that nobody knows about it. And I never knew about it. And many people, even now you see that's shared a lot more yeah. online. And I think people are starting to realize. But five or six years ago, you didn't know. You, yeah. Like there wasn't any information or I don't know. It's not like you ever look for it. But I just didn't know it was that bad. Because I think the picture that they paint to us is, oh, they're all so happy and you know, everything is good and everything is great. It's funny because for me, in my experience, um, being based in Melbourne, Australia, um, I was at the Melbourne show. I think they have the Royal Sydney show, whether they have the Perth show. So they it's do, an agricultural yeah. event. Yeah. So you have the petting farm on one tent. Yeah, that's right. And then you go next door, they're selling the organic sausages. I did yeah. not make the connection no. back then. But when you actually think about it, it's just conditioning, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you're right. And it is, 
it is this marketing it's it's a million dollar marketing um scheme that they fooled everybody the mm. protein is the same thing you know I, i'm averaging 10 to 15 grams a day obviously i'm not trying to build muscle but i have enough protein to put my body through some, some hard races and some crazy training crazy crazy stuff you do. and i still wake up every morning and i i'm i'm not falling over i'm not yeah. protein deficient you know yeah. my blood results i get them done every six months and they're pretty much perfect and you know i still do all those crazy races i race way more than anybody else out there um you yeah. know and it's on 10 grams of protein 15 grams of protein a day speaking of races what is um what is your number one most favorite race that you've done that you really like take back like wow i love that race there's been a lot like yeah i know i do 40 races or 30 40 races a year and i get to travel like to places like kazakhstan and stuff like that but to be honest um maybe this is not exactly answering your question but my kind of proudest moment mm. in running was literally about a week ago when really? i really yeah, okay. i was on the cover of um sports soho Oh, which okay. is like the biggest sports magazine in Hong Kong. So they, it's pretty much oh, every single 7-Eleven. It's like the biggest oh, kind of local wow. um, magazine in Hong Kong. But it's not that. It's not being on the cover of it, which is great. It's on the cover of it. There's a picture of me and it says vegan trail runner, oh, Vlad Excel. And I was it. like, I can't believe that this just made it to every single 7-Eleven in Hong Kong. And 7-Elevens in Hong Kong are everywhere. Like yeah. literally yeah, every yeah, yeah, 10 meters. And that Sports Soho is the biggest magazine and it's right on the front of it. Congrats, man. So I was like, they did a full story on a vegan athlete. So they had like three or four pages of what I eat, how I train, all my results. So for me, this was like, you know, oh, I'm getting the word out. Of course. And this is more special, more important than winning any race. Of course. Of course. Um, I could not get even close to... I've, I've literally won at least 70 or 80 races yeah. in the last... But this is just more important. And, and I never had the kind of... Oh, I want to win this race or this yeah. race or this race. Yeah. I enjoy this lifestyle of yeah. running and racing and traveling. Um, but this getting that word that might save a couple of animals out there to such a massive market of meat consumption and a, and a market that is not as aware of yeah. maybe we're starting to get aware in Australia and the US and the UK, but there, there's still a couple of steps behind. So getting that word out was like, I was like, wow, this is incredible. This, this is incredible. I mean, for you coming from where you were before, six Red Bulls a day. I mean, on so many counts, I would say. I mean, first getting the message out, knowing your backstory, um, the struggles that you've got through to be a cover boy. I mean, yeah. not not a cover boy as in a <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, I've I've been I've made a couple of covers before. All oh, right, but this one was specific, of a course. vegan one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I just felt so proud, like you know here is one so you should be. yeah so you should be i remember um when i first came to singapore and we both know george jacobs vegetarian society president say you, you gotta meet this vlad exo guy this vegan runner he's vegan runner and i remember m was running the north face 50k in um mcritchie yeah and you were there i think and i was like that's flat <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i mean i started here in singapore with the 200k races here yeah um so that was um that pretty much started my whole running career, those two wins here in Singapore. Wow. Um, the 100K races. And the community in, in Singapore, the vegan community, is very special in many ways. It's it's a small but very tight kind of a community. Yeah, it is. And it's not super extreme. It's yep. not... They do still do a little bit of activism, but yep. like very kind of soft, nicer. And it's I think it's... A, I, what I find is very inclusive. 
Uh, yeah. Very, I've been to many yeah. of the Animal Allies meetings. Very, very inclusive. And like you said, it's because we're small. Yeah. And also, I chatted with Michael Broadhead, the founder of Animal Allies, and he says also partly because in Singapore, the government clamps down on protests and things yeah. like that. It's very controlled, so you have to do it in nice. a nice way in that sense, yeah. which brings a different energy to the activism. Yeah. And, and obviously, it's changing because you see more vegan options here mm. in Singapore. Oh, you know, five years ago, I was, you know, doing the first yeah, 100K yeah, yeah, race yeah, yeah, yeah. here. There wasn't that many options as totally. today. Um, so it is growing and that means the numbers are changing and people are changing. And we all understand that the change is not going to happen overnight. Of course. But as long as we are moving forward, you know, that that is all we can try and do, right? It's Indeed. just improve and improve and improve with every day. Indeed, because I chatted with David Young, who brought uh, from Hong Kong Green Monday. Green Monday, I think it, was, it happened uh, five, six years ago or seven years ago. Started here? No, I think it started in Hong Kong. Okay, started, started in, Hong in Hong Kong. Kong, and he brought, he brought um, Green Monday over here. And ever since Green Monday has come, options are everywhere. I mean, Emily and I, we went to a, a pizza place to to just go to a normal pizza place to have vegan diet cheese and yeah. Beyond Meat. I'm just like, I got, I'll, I'll recommend. Well, Pizza Express now. Yeah, 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 that's, that's right. One. That's the one. So they um literally a few days ago, they, or maybe a few weeks ago, they got the vegan menu. Yeah. Um, which is a big change. Uh, and huge. And yeah, this I mean. I mean, I've, I've spent a bit of time in Israel and yeah. I had those vegan pizzas. Like Domino's had vegan pizza oh, in right. Israel six years ago. Yeah. Um, Israel's ahead though, isn't it? I mean, the demand is just massive. Tel Aviv is insane. Because I know Gary Yurovsky was the one that really spearheaded that kind of change yeah. and shift. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people could um, connect with him because he was Jewish. Yeah. So a lot of people is like, oh, he's one of us. Let's listen to him. Yeah. Even though it's American, like it's, yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah. have anything to, really to do with Israel. Um, but he definitely made a big change there. And and I think the activism in Israel has changed a little bit. Yep. So they were very extreme in the beginning, mm -hmm. like barbecuing cats wow. on the streets to kind of show, hey, people, like what's the difference between a cat wow. and a pig? Goodness, why don't you eat that. a pack? Uh, like it was a dead cat that they got. Um, like, why don't you eat a dead cat? It's the same as a pig. And, and, you know, that kind of didn't really work for them. And then they went a bit softer on the activism, act, activism, and that kind of made changes. And now the numbers are growing. So in Australia right now, you see a little bit of that kind of what happened in Israel five years ago. Because um, I know recently uh, the Dominion movement in yeah, Melbourne, it was massive. huge. I don't know how many thousand people were there. It was, I mean, it was a massive, massive event, but we also got a lot of bad publicity yep. for it yeah and and you know i think that the government in australia is calling vegans terrorists now because of that mm. um so i mean it's obviously a good and a bad thing that yep. happened yeah i mean it kind of wakes the, the hate towards the veganism just like grew Tenfold. multiplied yep. yeah so much um that yeah i mean that's a bad thing the yeah. good thing is obviously people saw what's happening I mean, did, they the yep. did they make the change did they make the change i don't know that's the key, and, and I, I think yeah. that's why I love your your message, and I really love what you you just shared about the magazine cover. It's about yeah. inspiration. Yeah. It's about showing people what's possible rather than that's judging right. people for yeah. for what they're doing or not doing. And, and you, you know, I'll give you an example that I saw. Um, you know, obviously, there's a lot of posts about McDonald's going vegan mm. or vegan options mm. now in Germany, and I saw somebody's comment, and it's like, "Oh, I'll never eat it because they do so many bad things," but you know. It's, Eight years ago, I was doing those bad things yep. as well, and I made the change. And McDonald's obviously is doing it in a bigger scale, but they are making a small change towards it. Um, would I eat a, I mean, a vegan McDonald's? Probably I would, just yep. to try and support them. Maybe yep. not every day, 
Um, but to show that, that there is a demand, you're voting with your dollar. That's right. So, so I'll, I might do that um, to to show them, hey, let's have two vegan burgers, yeah. and maybe in ten years' time, half of their range will be vegan. You know, but that's change not going to happen if I'm not going to go there and spend yeah. my five dollars on that burger. Um, and and remembering that I wasn't always perfect. Yeah, you know? exactly. And I think uh, I I, have, I remember I was back in the day I was a strength and conditioning coach. Obviously, high protein, two to three times body weight protein, so that's yeah. even more than you. <laughs> so, so, but, but I had vegetarian clients that came in, and I and they weren't making progress. So I thought that because it was lack of protein, so I told them maybe just eat your white meats, yeah. uh, have your chicken, have your fish every once a week. You know, I, I wasn't a bad guy. Yeah. I just didn't know any better. And and I mean, look at where I am right now, yeah. <laughs> chatting with you about. Yeah, that's right. So I mean, it's it, we can't really judge the people that hasn't haven't made the change, and the companies that are making the change, right now. You know, the only thing we can do is support them. Yep. Um, I think in terms of support, I think the way I look at it is definitely I want to support your mom and pop, the really small ones. But at the same time, the big corporates. I don't support McDonald's at all. I think that what they do yep. in the big scale is the worst in the world. But if I can buy a vegan McDonald's yeah. once every month, I I think that that's a little bit of support. Yep. I'm not gonna go and eat it six times a week for of sure. Course, of course, I don't I don't support any of what they do. One hundred percent. But I do support that little change. Yeah. And those little change needs to be, um, you, you know, we need to kind of show them, hey, we do care we about do what care. you just did. And let's take another it. step. Yeah. Yeah, let's take another step because like, they're not gonna change. They're not gonna increase the range if yeah. we don't go and buy buy it once in a while exactly uh, it's just like you sh- we were talking about pizza express i'm yeah. gonna go there and have a you know have my beyond meat pizza with yeah. diet cheese to show that hey, you know there is There's demand, demand. yeah that's you right know? and then eventually hopefully they'll just expand their menu items and kind of that yeah e- e- everyone wins that's right and we were, we, were, we were eating normal cheese you know a few years ago yeah so we can't judge these companies for making the change now because you know they realize it now, we realize yeah. it a little bit earlier. Some will realize it a little bit later, but we do need to support. If if it's a company changing or if it's a person changing, when I get messages from people, you know, I just made the change. I try and support them, help them with information, Indeed. knowledge, Indeed. you know. So here with the company making a change, I will try and support them with. Um, with obviously my money yeah indeed like speaking of a funny story and, and vegan mcdonald burgers i remember when um emily got pregnant with sienna um we were at the hospital and she just gave birth to sienna at 8 45 p.m and she needed food and I, I was nothing around the hospital and what did we end up at mcdonald's the veggie crunch really? <laughs> so we welcomed sienna in the world with a mcdonald's <laughs> vegan burger because there was nothing around and yeah. that was my path into the whole mcdonald <laughs> thing so that's a little bit of a funny one so that but was it's a- good that at least i have a vegan option, <laughs> exactly right? exactly if yeah. not i if not i i i would have eaten nuts or something like that but yeah. you're like, like you're right at least there there is a vegan option yeah so I, I definitely want to go into, um, you know, like where you are right now and what is it like living for your sport? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously I'm not I'm not an, a player in the NBA. I don't play professional football. Um, so even though I do well in races, you know, I still obviously have to do projects around and do a lot of coaching and, and you know, one-on-one coaching to kind of survive. But, you know, I've been enjoying this lifestyle and I'm super grateful to have this kind of a lifestyle. Um do I wish I was a full-time just running? Yes, but you know that's what it is right now, and I'm just making the most out of it. So it might mean doing a run 
in the morning than spending six hours in front of a computer and then doing another run at yeah. night. You know, my days are pretty packed, you know, trying to get the most out of every single day. You know, usually in Australia, it's my day starts at maybe 7 a.m., finishes at 9 o'clock at night. Mm. Um, I'll be doing programs maybe till midnight sometimes. Sometimes I'll be doing in the gym. I'll be in the gym at 10 o'clock at, at night, um, just trying to kind of hustle my way through the day and make the most out of every single day. Um, because, yeah, I mean, I wish prize money were, were bigger in, in our sport, but it's not. But, but it's yeah. growing though, isn't it? You said like in the, in the next few years, it's, I reckon. It's definitely growing. I mean, I, as, as even if it's going to triple itself, it's still, it's still. not going to support a family. Yeah. You know, so, uh, I, you know, now that I'm, I'm getting older, I got married, you know, a month ago. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I feel like I need to start supporting, you know, somebody else. Just not, just not, it's not me anymore. So I can't go into a minus $10,000 on my credit card anymore, right? No. Especially when you have kids and education and... That's right. So, you know, you just got to make the most out of every day. And sometimes, you know, I'm I'm planning to do a 20K run, but I only have time for a 12K run. You know, I just got to deal with it and make the most out of the next day. You know, I just just feel like, you know, as long as I'm working hard, you know, moving forward, I'm happy with that. As long as I'm improving every day, if it's for my family's sake, my wealth, my health or my running kind of, um, then I'm happy. Yeah. You know, not every day is going to be perfect, but, you know, just try and improve a tiny bit every single day. Speaking of tiny improvement, like what, what words of inspiration can you share with our listeners for finding gratitude in the simple things? It's probably not the best kind of example, but sometimes, oh, you know, I don't feel like going for a run and then, you know, I kind of remind myself how lucky I am to be able to walk pain-free and to be able to run. And when there's millions of people around the world that don't have this opportunity just to go outside their door and go running for an hour, you know, maybe. And you came from that world. Yeah, I mean, I came from that kind of place where my mom had to, to work for 12 hours every single day, um, if not 15 hours every single day, um, just so we can survive. It's not just to make millions of dollars. You know, there's people that work obviously 16 hours a day yep. in banks yep. because they're making a million yep. dollars. And she was doing it just so she can like feed me, just so she can pay rent because yep. she was getting like $4 an hour. So, you know, she had to do 15 hours to pay rent. Um, so I'm, I'm like super grateful that I can do it. And, and that brings it into perspective that some people are born w- with a disability mm. and they can't run a walk, yep. you know, and here I am complaining, oh, it's too hot outside now for my run, you know, oh, it's too humid, you know. And once I kind of realize that, I go, shut up and just keep moving. Like you are the luckiest person alive. Um, and as I said, the experiences that I had growing up, I'm grateful for them. Yeah. And, and in, in many ways, like if I ever have kids one day, I would like them to spend like a year in a place yeah. where they're not Fully like... appreciate what right. they now have. That's right. So maybe like throw them somewhere into like a Middle Eastern country, um, maybe throw them somewhere in Africa for a year and kind of like, hey, look, this is this is life. What we have... Majority of the population. That's right. If you have $5 to buy a Starbucks coffee, you're doing better than 99% of the population, 90% of the population in this world. You know what I mean? And, and most people like, you know, whatever, coffee every day, three times a day. And, you know, it's good to, I think it'll be good for them. Contextualize it to back to the whole animal protein thing. You know, if you have money to eat three protein meals, three steaks 100%. a day, you know, contextualize it to people who can't even have basic, basic food, stuff rice. Yeah, when you're right. just complaining that you're not getting enough protein in your <laughs> exactly. day. Yeah. I mean, that's the world that we live in and yeah. it's becoming worse and worse and it's a little bit sad to see. But at the same time, I think we, we have hope for optimism because information is now free and accessible and 
like you said, in the past five to seven years, you know, things have just really changed. And yeah. People are starting to realize that there is a different way. I mean, it takes people like you to inspire, to show that what's possible. And then it takes people like you to share that information. Yeah. So, I mean, this this session, this kind of talk that we're having right now, if that makes a little change on somebody, um, then we are winners here, right? Yeah. Um, and little steps going forward, you know, hopefully as long as we're improving with every day. Indeed. Um, so, so for all the young athletes out there that are listening to you and look at you as Mr. <laughs> Mr. Superman, the God, uh, I want to live a life like Vlad winning all these races. What tips of in, any tips that you can leave with them um, to inspire them to really follow their heart and just go running, do what they love? I mean, for any runners that want to like think that uh, ultra running is is like, you know, a massive sport that will make you rich, probably get a job in McDonald's, you probably make more money. Um, you know, you, you, you become skinny, you get sunburned, um, you get chafing in places in your body that you never thought could shave. So, you know, it's it's a sport that you do for yourself and yep. nature and, and it's not going to get you any girls or anything like that or any guys or... Um, you know, it's it's definitely a sport that you do for for the love of it, mm. and and you know, if you do want to try and pursue that kind of a lifestyle, you have to understand that you have to hustle on the side. You know, unless you're the top two or three runners in the world, you're not going to be making enough money to survive um, of the sport. As as beautiful as this sport is, it's not at that point yet. Um, but for anyone that would want to kind of have this lifestyle that I have, just make sure that you understand that there will be some dark times where you know, things are not going to plan. Yep. And that's why you need to make sure that you don't put 100% into it all the time. But you I think the, these dark out. times also define who you are, the person that you are, builds up your mental strength and it just sets you up for the rest of life. Well, you never know how good you are till somebody puts you in the corner, you yeah. know, and that's when people kind of shine. Um, so I put myself in that corner. I had nothing and that was my only kind of, well, I didn't can't say that. I was living in Australia. But, you know, I, but still, you I was know. putting myself in that kind of corner to make sure that to see if I can climb out of it or I take a step back and do something else. And I took that chance at the age of 25 because I was lucky, yeah. you know, to be able to move back to my parents' house. So, you know, I can save money for my next race and pay for the accommodation and the travel, um, you know. So, so that obviously I'm grateful for that. So I think that, yeah, it's all about hard work moving forward. Um, you know, taking chances taking chances and i think like like your your whole journey just deciding for the the very first 40 42k that you run just put, putting yourself in a in an uncomfortable spot yeah. and just say i'm just gonna do it i'm not gonna know how what's gonna happen but i'm just gonna, gonna do, do it, it anyway yeah, yeah. Uh, it's being comfortable it's, it's getting comfortable being uncomfortable kind of style yeah um which i really like now i really enjoy that and i think that's where a lot of growth comes for sure. Um, so putting myself into running, you know, for 10 hours on the, on the trails and mountains in, in bad weather, you know, you just, you become stronger from those experiences. And, and it carries over to the rest of your life. And anything you do, yeah. it, anything that you do. And, and, you know, in the end of the day, I remind myself when I have a bad patch, 80K into a race, in the end of the night, I'm going to be sleeping in my own bed. And that kind of brings it all back into center that everything is okay it's, yeah. it's gonna this pain is gonna finish in two hours Indeed. you are gonna be okay Indeed, uh, and it. you know so i think a lot of people can hopefully use that when they do the the easy runs or some run, longer runs and kind of hey and this is gonna finish in half an hour we're gonna have you know uh, uh pakari sweat and everything is yeah, gonna yeah, be okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'll sit down and, and enjoy a nice meal with my family and have a roof and have clothing and 
you know, have enough food on my plate. So everything is okay. Love it. Love it. Well, just to wrap up, just a final question. And since this is the name of the podcast, Awake Asia, what does being awake mean to you? Uh, I mean, it's definitely a, it's a question that we can spend another hour kind of answering, but I think it's, it's making sure that you make the most out of every single day. It's, you know, and not every day is going to be perfect, but understanding it, I can know, you know what, this wasn't too bad. This was really bad. Let's just, how can I make, how can I improve this for tomorrow? And that 0.01% improvement that you make every day is how you build up the future that you might want to live and, um, you know, making sure that you take chances and you're grateful and, you know, you become uncomfortable. I love it. Gratefulness and being uncomfortable. Yeah. Two words that I love in my world, <laughs> in my world as well. But um, thank you very much, Vlad. It was an awesome, uh, awesome chat. And thank you for making the time for us to chat and connect again. You know, I've been following your journey for, for years now since since the Mac Ritchie days. And I love love what you're doing. And and yeah, I mean, let's let's go get you some vegan burgers, man. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Thank you. If you would like to connect with Vlad, He's on Instagram as Vlad Ixel, spelled V-L-A-D-I-X-E-L. And also through his page, VladIxel.com. Thank you for tuning in today. I really appreciate you taking the time out to listen to this episode. But more importantly, take the first step to living a fitter, healthier, and more purpose-driven conscious lifestyle. If you'd like more information on what was shared on this episode, visit awakemethod.com slash podcast. Beyond that, if you think any of your friends or loved ones could benefit from listening to this, do share it with them. Until next time, live once, eat plants. See you on the next episode. Bye.